you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. We are here at the NFL Report. I am Steve Weich in our Los Angeles studios. And my man, James Palmer, he is at Arrowhead Stadium for the Thursday night matchup between the Chiefs and the Broncos. JP, it looks like the weather is actually beautiful out there in Kansas City. I don't cover a lot of games here at Arrowhead, Steve, where that sentence is said to me as they throw it out to me on the sideline at Arrowhead. Usually it's freezing in some capacity or it's snowing or there's sleet or something is happening on the sideline that I'm telling you about the weather. When I tell you about the weather for this Thursday night game, it is gorgeous. Now, there might be some wind for this game. You might hear some wind through this microphone throughout the show. That could be the only thing possibly that could slow down Patrick Mahomes and his Chiefs offense as we've seen them continue to get back to wait, the AFC championship game year in and year out, Steve. And and what were you going to say? Because, wait, 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 JP. I know oh. who they faced here. Wait, wait. No, no, no. Hit me. No, no. But before we get to this conversation, you, you can't just blow over the visiting guest, the most important fan coming to the game tonight. Now, look, we have Brian Baldinger on later in the show. Oh, and every time gosh. we have Baldy on, you've got your popcorn yep. ready for Baldy. Mm-hmm. You have your popcorn ready for Taylor Swift. She's supposed to be there. To see your guy Travis play in tonight's game yeah. as well, JP. That's the rumor around the campfire that, that she will be here. Nationally televised game. Taylor Swift shows up. Surprise, surprise. I'm not sure how those could, could be connected in any sort of capacity <laughs> that this is a game that she shows up to that it's live on Thursday night, right? No, not at all. And by the way, nice campfire drop there, too, to also uh, go about your, your, your online show, the, uh, the Campfire Chronicles here, the Campfire Stories. Um, but real quick, JP, uh, you were talking that. about you're talking about Arrowhead, the site of some of the great playoff battles we've seen the past couple years between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals, who got a dub last yeah. week as Joe Burrow came back from that calf injury, and it looks like maybe their season could be resuscitated, that things could be coming back. JP, are we, do you think, after that victory last week over Arizona, mind you, one in four Arizona, is a very positive sign for the Bengals to be the team that we think they'll be. I don't care who they were playing, Steve. In all honesty, I think it's a positive sign because of one player and one player specifically. And you mentioned Joe Burrow. It's because of how he moved in this game, how he was able to throw the football in this game. Going 36 of 46 for 317 yards, three touchdowns. He looked like Joe Burrow. He looked like the guy that got the biggest payday in the history of the NFL this offseason. And what stood out to me most, Steve, is that the way he was moving and some of the plays that he made on the move, to my understanding, those were his decision. Those weren't calls from Zach Taylor. There's a big difference there because if he's the one moving like that and it's his choice to move like that, it was his decision to go to that, what does it show you? It shows you as he has confidence that he's feeling better, and he has said of such. So to me, that's the biggest thing that jumps out at this because we know they've had slow starts before. They can get going again. And, and James, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, we, we, you know we, we've talked about the fact he was able to move in the pocket a little bit better because of that calf. 
But the confidence that he played with is what I saw. And I went back and rewatched this. It seemed like Joe Burrow. Like, okay, I'm good. I can drive the ball down the field. I can throw my guys open. I can get in and out of the huddle with the type of urgency and the type of pacing and timing that makes this offense flow the way it should. Here is the one thing that gives me a little pause, and it's not so much Joe Burrow. It is their upcoming schedule. They play the Seahawks Sunday. Then they play the Niners, the Bills, the Texans, the Ravens, and the Steelers. So, again, I I expect the Bengals to be what they've been the past couple years, which is one of the best teams in the NFL. But having that slow start and then having to get through this gauntlet of games, this will really identify a lot of what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow. And speaking about trying to find some things out, JP, let's let's look at some of these younger quarterbacks that we came into week five and now heading into week six that we had questions about, okay? And I think the biggest one is Justin Fields, okay? He's had six really good quarters of the last two games he played, the first half against the Broncos, and he comes out last week against the Commanders. Not necessarily great overall in the passing game, effective in the passing game, but, J.P., the way he ran this offense, do you think he's he has turned the corner now and this offense is there for him to finally succeed? I think I saw a couple changes over these last six quarters, as you mentioned, Stephen. These are the ones that jump out at me. One, they're using his legs again. It didn't really seem like they wanted to in the early portion of the season, and when they were letting him maybe use his legs – It was a lot of this read option stuff where obviously every defense is going to do what? Account for him, right? And he's going to hand the football off because everybody knows how dynamic he is with the football in his hands. Maybe the most electric player with the football in his hands in the NFL. You could make that argument with him carrying it. They've gone back now over these last six quarters, and I've seen them go to some runs where there isn't an option. He's going to run the football, and then he's going to go make something happen with his legs. The other part is the confidence he had in throwing the football down the field. Bingo. Remember the arm that he came out of Ohio State with, and I think that previous coaching staff, that was one of the things they fell in love with with Justin Fields is pushing the football downfield and throwing it down there with confidence to a big receiver in D.J. Moore. I think the connection between these two is the part that jumps out at me the most. And I had a conversation with Pat Sertan just the other day, and he was telling me D.J. Moore is just going to go up and win balls. He's just going to go up and win you physical balls, and that's what's going to happen when you throw the football up to him. That applies confidence to your quarterback. So I do think they've changed some things offensively in terms of setting him up to succeed. Now they have this mini bye week, Steve, playing that Thursday night game to get ready for Sunday to kind of really build off of that, in my opinion, about what's working and what they're seeing. It's using his legs. It's being aggressive downfield and having confidence in D.J. Moore. And when he goes downfield to D.J. Moore, you can't account for his legs as much if you have to double him as an explosive receiver. Yeah, I mean, this is you, you said something there that's hugely important, is to build off of that. And it's not just him. It's for O.C. Luke Getze mm-hmm. and the rest of this offense because they're playing the Vikings yep. next, right? So you know Brian Flores is going to get off the bus blitzing, and they're going to do things to take D.J. Moore yeah. away. Right, so it's going to be okay. Justin, use your legs, or some, or somebody else. You know, you have to show up. But there are some opportunities for this offense to get better because they're playing the Vikings and the Raiders. Those are not two defensive gauntlets they have to go through. Now, James, another quarterback yeah. I, sure. I want to get to is Desmond Ritter. Right, you know, first couple games like, ooh, we just don't know, we just don't know, and then he really, really looked good last week. And I got to tell you, out, out of some of the quarterbacks, I had questions <laughs> about. I feel better about him, 
right? When I used to do their preseason games in 2022, I saw him in practice. He can drive the ball down the field. He can do some things because of his ability. It just seemed like he wasn't playing with that it factor, that, that juice, that confidence. He had it in this game. And to build on sure. that, what do the Falcons do? They go and they trade for Van Jefferson from the Rams, so they give him a vertical threat to open up the field for a lot of the possession yep. receivers like Kyle Pitts and London and John U. Smith and Bijan Robinson. So I think the fact that the Falcons are setting him up for more success instead of asking him to be the person who drives him to success is why I feel better about Desmond Ritter than I did just a few weeks ago. You know who else feels better about Desmond Ritter? The Falcons. I think, obviously, they feel a lot better about Desmond Ritter. What jumps out to the organization, to my understanding, is the confidence, Steve, that he had, that he went out, C.J. Stroud drives the football downfield, scores, and what happens? He responds. He has the confidence to respond and be that guy, put a drive on his shoulders. That part stood out. Remember, this is just his ninth NFL start. Yeah. If you would ask me to go back and you'd ask Arthur Smith and that coaching staff to go back, maybe they look and maybe say, you know what, week 14, we should have started it probably earlier last year and moving from Marcus Mariota over to Desmond Ritter. Get him some more reps last season. I'm curious how that would have impacted, Steve, the way he's played at the beginning portion of this season. But my understanding is they loved the confidence. They loved how he was able to respond. They loved how he was able to command the offense, attack downfield, throw with accuracy, and they said if he throws the football like that, we're going to be just fine. And so this is obviously one game, but it was a big game and a come-from-behind victory, so a big, big move for Desmond Ritter and a move in the right direction for the Falcons as they're trying to figure out early on if this is the guy to run this offense with all of these talented pieces. Now, we talk about a guy running an offense in his second NFL season. Let's go to Kenny Pickett now, Steve, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. We've been on this show up and down about the Pittsburgh Steelers and what we've thought, where our expectations were, where we've been brought back down to earth maybe at times in certain weeks. Where do you stand now after this last week with Kenny Pickett? Yeah, look, you know, Kenny Pickett is still somebody, you know, you look at the overall numbers, he's not completing 60% of his passes. But here's why I'm bullish on Kenny Pickett. He is a monster in fourth quarters, much like his predecessor, Ben Roethlisberger. How many times do we see Big Ben look ordinary and this offense look ordinary for three yep. quarters and then make plays in the clutch? And that is one thing, even since Kenny Pickett started last year at the end of the season as a rookie, we've seen out of him. This offense is going to continue to go through growing pains but he doesn't turn the ball over in the fourth quarter and he makes plays, JP. I think that is something that we can look forward from him. Well, Steve, real quick, I do want to jump in and just say this. The pocket awareness was something that the Steelers coaching staff was aware of that he had maybe some issues with at the collegiate level at Pitt. Those have kind of crept in. It's something that I know that they've worked on tremendously with him in the offseason, having that feel in there. They've improved the offensive line. He has weapons around him, <laughs> improving that feel in the pocket against guys that you know at the NFL level, almost all of them can get to you, having that better feel in there. They're working on it. Is that improving? Then maybe we see some more improvements as well with Kenny Pickett. Coming up, we have Leslie Frazier, Steve, joining the show with a couple insights on the 49ers and Dolphins that just blow my mind in terms of what they're doing to be better than everybody else in football. And it's not motion. It's, well, you'll hear after this. You go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 
37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 30 back. Time. Steps around from DeMarcus Lawrence. Throws for the end zone. Caught by George Kittle. Touchdown! Damn, on that shallow cross. Here's an end around and a flea flicker. Back to Brock Purdy. Takes a shot down the sideline to George Kittle. Kittle all the way to the end zone. Motion. They could give it. No, it's a play action. Purdy going to roll left. Throw for the end zone. Caught by George Kittle. He has the hat trick. The play action going to roll right. Throw. Full back. Wide open. Spider two wide banana. Touchdown. Welcome back to the NFL Report. You're hearing the voice of the Niners radio announcer, Greg Papa, talking about touchdown after touchdown by Brock Purdy. And James Palmer, we are now joined by former NFL head coach and longtime defensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier. Hey, and Les, when you were playing for those Super Bowl championship Bears teams, I mean, you know, we know you had Matt Suey and Walter Payton in the backfield back in the days when 21 and 22 personnel were huge. That's not today's football, but you said you've noticed two teams who are using it more than anyone else by far, and they're two of the best teams in the NFL. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're, you're exactly right. Uh, when I was playing, 21 and 22 were predominant personnel groups. Well, today, you don't see 21 personnel very often. Uh, but there are two teams that major in 21, and they're the best two offensive teams statistically in the league today, the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins, Steve, they are in 21 personnel about 45% of the time. The San Francisco 49ers mm. are in 21 personnel about 40% of the time. And so, so, but for defense, it puts you in a dilemma a little bit because you don't have to, uh, you don't get a chance to really practice against 21 very often. The rest of the league, they're averaging about 8% uh, being in 21 personnel. Oh, so wow. It's almost like, it's almost like you, you were preparing for the wishbone in a drop back league. <laughs> and it's, it's creating quite a dilemma for, for teams. But both offenses are putting up historic numbers uh, when it comes to uh, scoring, uh, uh, points per game, along with uh, first and total offense, uh, rushing the football as well, first and pass. Uh, so they're one and two in just about every offensive category. Really, really good. Hey, Coach, real quick, before JP, before you get in here, just explain what 21 personnel exactly means. So with, with 21 personnel, we're talking about two running backs, one tight end, two wide receivers. Most teams in today's NFL, they are an 11 personnel teams. So and, and when we say 11 personnel, we're talking about one tight end, three wide receivers, one running back. That's for most teams, that's the predominant formation, a personnel group. Uh, but San Francisco and Miami, as I mentioned before, they're giving you a curveball on defense, you have to adjust to 21 personnel, usually with your base personnel. And what I mean by base personnel for defenses, you have, if you're a 4-3 team, you're going to have three linebackers on the field. And for most teams, uh, all the, the pre-snap movement, all the things they're doing, uh, post-snap as well, creates a lot of problems if you are in your base personnel. So teams are beginning to go to a little bit more nickel to try to defend the Dolphins and the 49ers. And you can see when you look at the at, at the transition in the league, 
probably Steve about three years ago, uh, nickel defenses you were seeing it maybe about 59 percent of the time. Today that number is up. It's almost seventy percent of the time. Wow, the teams are going to nickel on defense wow. to try to combat what the Dolphins and Forty Niners are doing. Now, as you guys know, this is a copycat league. So I would imagine yep. because of the success that the Dolphins, along with the 49ers, are having on offense, you're going to see more teams kind of evolve to uh, 21 personnel. So we'll see. But, but, Coach, when you say that the copycat league, I look at the Dolphins, I look at the Niners, and I look at the personnel that they're using, the skill set of these players. I know it's a copycat league, but a lot of the talent that they have it isn't very easy to find, including the versatility that some of those guys have. You're exactly right. I mean, the, the key for both teams in their uh, 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 21 personnel is what they do with their fullback. Uh, both Engel mm. and, 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 and Juice are two guys that move around and play multiple roles. And then you see what they do with McCaffrey, the way they use him in San Francisco. Uh, the way they'll put Tyreek in the backfield in Miami, just do different things with their personnel. So you're right. Uh, they can kind of personnel you a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons the teams that are able to give them a, a, a little bit of a run are the teams that get their best personnel on the field, and which is usually nickel personnel on defense to be able to match up because they create some matchup problems, especially when they put Debo in the backfield in San Francisco as I mentioned with Tyreek yep, in the backfield yep. as well, that creates some matchup problems for, for defenses. Now, we could talk X's and O's, Coach, all day. Right, Steve? We could probably Love ask it. Coach these questions <laughs> for probably the duration of the entire show. But there's other aspects that go into our game, not just the X's and O's on the field. It's the dynamic in every building, right, Coach? And we just saw kind of the curtain pulled back a little bit with Frank Reich, the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, and his ongoing new relationship with owner David Tepper. Here's Coach Wright. He's super competitive. He wants to bring a winner to the Carolinas. He's, um, you know, wants it now. You know, wants it now and, and pushes me and pushes us to that end. Um, he wants to do whatever it takes and turn over every stone, churn it as much as he has to to, to produce winning football. So um, I appreciate those conversations. They're always very challenging. Um, he's a super competitive person, and um, he's not going to sit idly by. I, I find it, Coach, very candid words, right, Steve, from the from the head coach and Frank Reich. And, <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of the people, Steve, right, we talked about talked to over the last couple of days were kind of, I, I don't want to use the word shocked, but a little shocked about Frank Reich's honesty. But also I know a lot of people around the league are not really arguing that Frank Reich is speaking out of turn by the way things are operating in that building a little bit. What, Coach, I'm curious about is how it varies by building. And owners vary by building. Their time in their own buildings vary. Some owners don't even live in the same city every day as their team. What's your take on the differing kind of styles that you've seen and how they impact different organizations between head coach and the owner? Well, first of all, if you have an owner that is heavily involved in the decision-making, uh, that can be problematic to a degree, uh, and you're right, James, every, every team is a little bit different because you do have some owners that are not mm -hmm. uh, even in the city 
uh, per se. I mean, they, they're getting their information from the general manager or the, or the president. But when you do have a hands-on owner who wants to be involved in every decision and wants to be at every practice, um, you know, as, as a head coach, you want to be trusted. Uh, you want you want to be able to create a culture where people aren't walking on eggshells uh, because they are concerned that any mistake is going to be micromanaged. Uh, they're going to come under criticism. And, you know, I've been in some situations where uh, the owner has been more hands off. I've been in situations where the, where the owner is, is involved in almost every decision. And I know I know Frank you know pretty well uh, just watching that press conference. Uh, it seems like it, it's, a, it's a little bit challenging, uh, but knowing him, you know, he'll talk it through. He'll work through it. He has a strong staff, uh, but communication is extremely important when you're in those situations because as an owner, they have every right to want to know how decisions are made, uh, what are we doing with our personnel, uh, who we're thinking about drafting, who we're thinking about starting or not starting. Uh, they have every right to want to get that information. But what you don't want is for that head coach or that coaching staff to feel like, man, every everything has to be perfect because in our game, it's not going to be perfect. And you have to be able to get through the ups and downs of a season uh, together. And if you have an owner who is sweating you after games, I'll give you guys an example. There are some, some owners and, and some, some owner, owners in our league where on a Monday after a game, they want to watch tape yep. of the of the previous game and, yep. and and talk through some of the mistakes that were made. Now, as a head coach, you've got a lot on your plate. Uh, and now all of a sudden you've got to delegate responsibility because you've got to go watch tape with the head coach. So that's that's a hands-on <laughs> approach, something that uh, can be problematic for, for a head coach for sure. Real, real quick, Steve, I want to jump in here because what Coach was saying reminds me of a conversation. I think it was in Houston doing that Super Bowl. Opening night, I'm in the belly of NRG Stadium. Opening night, and up comes Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft. And I start talking to the two of them, and, and Jonathan's kind of on edge a little bit. I said, hey, Jonathan, you've been here multiple times. Nerves for the Super Bowl? He goes, no, we have a huge business deal that we're working on this week right now that my dad and I have been going through, and it is really – a monster for our company. They, they weren't even sweating the Super Bowl, Super Bowl week. Their focus as owners of the New England Patriots was on a business deal that they were dealing with their shipping company. Well, I mean, that's kind of what most owners do. They got wealthy in other businesses other than the NFL, unless those, of course, made their money the hardest way through inheritance. Coach Frazier, thank you so much, man. I mean, that was really good stuff. We want to bring you back Unreal. some more on this 21 personnel type. We, we love this type of conversation. 100%. And, JP, when we come back, 100%. Judy Batista telling us about two New York teams headed in different directions. And why isn't Carson Wentz on somebody's roster? Back at the NFL We got an report. answer. We got an answer. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 
behind the C block of the NFL Report. James and I are now joined by Judy Batista of NFL Media, one of our best and most astute journalists on staff. And Judy, you live in New York. <laughs> there's gonna be no oh. jokes. There's gonna be no jokes about uh, indoor footwear on this show, by the way. Thank God. Oh, thank you. Let's not revisit <laughs> oh, that. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> We're not gonna do that. <laughs> that was not pleasant. But look, Judy, you're in New York. You're in the New York area. And you've got some great football teams here in the Giants and the Jets. I mean, I'm sure everybody's over the moon with the way their seasons are going. Um, let's start with the, the Giants, Judy, because Steven. this bad start is, is, I mean, it seems like it's their reality of, of what's going to happen. Now Daniel Jones is hurt. Darren Waller is hurt. We don't know if Saquon's coming back this week to face the Bills. Is this the real New York Giants, or is there the potential for them to turn a corner because after this week against the Bills, their schedule, if you if you will take it this way, does lighten a tad. Yes. Um, so I could. Yes. Let's let's try to be positive at the outset of this conversation. The schedule does ease up. The the, the start not of their a, season. Job, the schedule is really really hard. It was really really hard. Lots of primetime games. Weird scheduling. So yes, it's it's been really hard. Um, so, yes, I could see them improving, but I mean, let's keep some perspective here. The offensive line is absolutely decimated. Yes. Their left tackle is out for mm -hmm. who knows how long with a hamstring. He's by far their best offensive lineman. Um, the rest of the offensive line has not been able to protect at all. We don't know if Saquon is coming back this week. Um, there was some optimism, but we don't know yet. And now, as you pointed out, Daniel Jones has a neck injury and he has not practiced this week. So it seems unlikely that he will play uh, on Sunday. So, I mean, things are about as low as it can get right now. And the reality is that they are not just losing games. They're getting blown out of games uh, with the exception of that second half, that furious comeback against the Arizona Cardinals. They're just getting destroyed by opponents. And so even, um, if things take a turn for the better, and even if everybody gets healthy, I mean, yes, you could see them maybe picking up a win here or there, but it's it's hard at this point to imagine them, you know, taking off on the kind of run that would get them back in, say, playoff contention. I mean, they're just nowhere near that. The, the offense is, like, really nonproductive. I think the only team that is scoring fewer points is the New England Patriots, which is an entirely separate conversation. Oh, boy. Oh, but boy. But that, you know, but that gives you some perspective. I mean, we've spent all week talking about the New England Patriots situation. Well, the, you know, the only team that makes the Patriots look good right now are, are the New York Giants. I mean, it's it's they are in a real difficult spot, and the injury situation is just dire right now. Judy, one-word answer. Do we expect changes with the New York football giants at the end of the season or now? Yeah. End of the season. Uh, I, I do not expect them to make a coaching or a general manager change. Certainly I would expect a personnel change. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen, I was supposed to be a one word answer. Sorry. One word answer. Yeah. It's okay, yeah, Judy. I, I agree with you. I think below yeah. that first two that you mentioned possible changes. Yes. I was in a locker well, room yeah on Sunday with another New York team that was a very different feel than what we're hearing and seeing with the Giants. And that was the Jets locker room at Mile High after Nathaniel Hackett and company take down Sean Payton and the Broncos. This was a locker room I was in, Judy, that was full of, I hate to say, use this word after they lost Aaron Rodgers after four snaps, but Hope. optimism. 
because of what they saw from both of their running backs, from what they saw from their defense, where do things stand in your eyes with the Jets moving forward and what they've kind of done in these last two games? They didn't win them both, but what they've done in these last two games. Well, first of all, as we know, winning fixes everything, right? Like every everything looks mm-hmm. doable if you've won a game. Um, certainly the way they played last week, now, uh, albeit against the Denver Broncos, right? Like a, a defense that has been struggling mightily this season, but that is how they want to play. Um, they want to be able to run the ball, and Brees Hall looks fantastic, recovered from the ACL. Uh, mm-hmm. He's no longer on a pitch count, and it showed he is he is electrifying. Um, they want to be able to run the ball. They want to be able to rely on their defense, and then they want Zach Wilson um, you know, to get out of the pocket, to move around a little bit, to create plays, and they were able to do all of that. Again, it came against a team that it has its own very significant problems. Um, but certainly, they feel better about things than they did, you know, for example, coming off the Patriots game when things just look terrible. And I do think a big part of it is, we talked about this last week too, uh, Zach Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett um, needed time to sort of get to know each other and get to know what each other likes. And uh, I think Hackett needed to um, get an understanding of what Zach Wilson is comfortable with and where he excels. And I think they're finally getting that marriage together. Hey, Judy, we only have about 90 seconds here, but just you're, you're covering the game. I think the Niners at the Browns this week. Um, the Deshaun Watson situation with the shoulder. We don't know if he is going to play or not. But this, this opens up a big can for the Browns. Like Dorian Thompson-Robinson and P.J. Walker are their backup quarterbacks. You would think with a team with this much playoff aspirations this season might have fortified their backup quarterback situation a little bit better. They trade Josh Dobbs to Arizona. He looks like a legit starter. Mm. What about the way that they've kind of money, left Steve. themselves unprotected in a season where so much seems to be riding on things? Yeah, I look, I, I don't think they're alone, um, but certainly you'd probably rather have, for instance, a Gardner Minshew right now than, than what the Browns have. Um, you know, they do think that Walker gives them a better chance. You know, he played fairly well. I think it was six or seven starts in Carolina. And so he True. played fairly well. So you think that that gives him a better chance than a rookie who, you know, obviously needs more seasoning. He had three interceptions against the Ravens thrown into a very, very difficult situation on very short notice. Um, But yeah, they're going to have to hold it together until Deshaun gets better. I mean, this is obviously a crazy difficult matchup. There's no time that you want to face the Niners right now. You especially don't want to have to face them with a backup quarterback. But um, I agree with you. I mean, there are loads of teams out there who are not like the San Francisco 49ers, who are a clear Super Bowl caliber roster and made sure they had an experienced backup there in case Brock Purdy gets hurt. They've got Sam Darnold there. Again, you'd rather have Gardner Minshew in this situation probably than what most teams have. Look at the look at the New England Patriots, who don't look like a, a, a playoff team right now, but certainly had aspirations when the season started. Their backup quarterback is Bailey Seppi, who they exposed to waivers. They basically said to the rest of the league, here, do you want him? You can have him. And nobody took him, and so they brought him back. He's the backup. That's part of the reason why they're sticking with Mac Jones as the starter, despite two terrible performances, because they don't have a better option. And that's where the Browns are, too. No better yeah. options right hey, now. Hey, hey, Julie, this is, this is such a great discussion. We're going to continue this on a little bit different level. So thanks so much for kind of teeing things up for us right now. Yeah. All the best to you this weekend watching that dandy. Uh, between the Browns <laughs> and the 49ers. But as Judy alluded to, let's look at the importance of having a good backup because 
Look at this is through five games of the last four seasons. How many backup quarterbacks had to play? As Pep Hamilton said, quarterbacks are getting hit. They're getting exposed to injuries. And look at the one loss record with 2022 kind of being the outlier. So for more on this, James Palmer is joined by Mike Garofolo, who is out there doing our Thursday night coverage at Arrowhead. Uh, and Mike G, I like the tie. Right. I like the shades. For those of you on the podcast, uh, James is not rocking a tie or shades, but he's still looking very good. But, but Mike, we just I can't hide these baby blues, Mike. <laughs> oh my God! So here we go. Don't don't retort back. <laughs> we don't have too much time, Mike. We've heard Judy talk about how some teams have left themselves kind of exposed with the way they've handled their backup quarterback situation. What about some of these teams? I mean, we see, like, San Francisco with Darnold. New Orleans has Jameis Winston, but Cincinnati has Jake Browning, right? Chicago has Tyson Badgett, Minnesota, Jaron Hall. What about the the exposure some of these teams have left themselves to by not having a valid backup quarterback? And why is there such, I guess, non-dearth, I would say, of, of, of backup quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah, it's situation by situation, Steve, because... Uh, there are times where you've got a quarterback, and Green Bay, I think, is the best example of this. Yeah, that's in, a good point. In Jordan Love, who you didn't spend a lot of money on, but you don't want a guy looking over his shoulder, right? Mm-hmm. You just had him in Aaron Rodgers' shadow for quite a number of years. You finally get him a chance to be the starting quarterback. You got a rookie that nobody's going to be clamoring for. No. If he, I mean, think about it. If they had a veteran right now that they spent a bunch of money on, Jordan Love's played pretty well but he just threw a couple interceptions a couple key interceptions in that game the other night some folks might be clamoring for the backup quarterback so that's a philosophy right there I think Chicago sort of did similar things with Justin Fields right now but then you've got some of the teams you talked about when you spend 50 million dollars on the starting quarterback position it doesn't leave you anything at the backup spot and and Denver did that though they spent 10 million on Jared Stidham yes uh this year? Over two years. Over two years, yes, exactly. I'm, yes. I'm saying that's pretty good money for a back. That's five and five. That was I, and, I, and I think that the new regime looked at that and said, we don't know if we're quite bought in exactly. on Russell Wilson. So and a new Another regime, example I mean, that it's case by case. In right. A sense. There's, yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, but I go back to the Eagles when they had Carson Wentz, and they gave him a big extension. Howie Roseman said, how do I now get the max value out of the backup spot? He went and drafted Jalen Hurts. He said, that's a good way for me to get value at it without having to spend money there. Well. Wound up being a good decision for another reason, right? Yeah. You know, so it's 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 case by case. I kind of like the idea of if you spend a lot of money at that spot, don't spend a lot of the, at the backup spot, right? You're kind of all in. I get it. And if there's an injury, it kills you. But you know what? In a lot of cases, when you go back to your backup, you're done anyway. Ooh. Well, that's a, but that's a Not great anyway. point, though. But that's a great point, though, in terms of how, how money impacts how teams do it. Uh, both you guys, why the hell isn't Carson Wentz on somebody's roster? <laughs> I just mentioned what? that. Yeah, you Carson, just mentioned yeah. Carson Wentz, who's yeah. been working with John Gruden, by the way, and, and Gruden trying really? to get him to. Yeah, they've been working for a couple of months now, which I thought would help his case, and I thought it'd make him more presentable yeah. to teams. But there's a little bit more to Carson Wentz that just what kind of a football player he is, right? There's been, he's been a lightning rod in a lot of ways for a number of reasons. And I think that that's a factor. You can't ignore that right now because you can't tell me he's not better than some of the guys that are second or third quarterbacks right now. The ones that just tried out in Indianapolis. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, he hasn't even gotten a workout, if I'm not mistaken, right now. And he probably feels like he's beyond workout kind of guy. Uh, So I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that he's still not in the league right now, but he's coming in as the number two Mm -hmm. And, again, it's that kind of situation where do you really want that? And, 
Look, we could. I'm I'm reluctant to go here, oh, but this go, is the Mike, same go. stuff that we've been saying about Colin Kaepernick in recent years. Now it's a whole different thing, okay? Whole different reasons for why you say, "Do we want to bring in a guy?" But, but it's a factor. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. It's about more than him as a football player right now. Good Carson stuff. Wentz, that is. And Good I don't stuff. think that's really been a secret, Mike, by, by, by any stretch of the imagination. The other quarterback that I want to get in real quick, or maybe not real quick, we'll see how much time we have, Kirk Cousins. Everybody talks, Mike, about yeah. are, are, is, is, are the Vikings sellers now? Are, are they moving on from Kirk Cousins? What would be your take right now? Would we see him after the trade deadline still in Minnesota. Uh, yeah, I think it's a strong exactly. possibility because it's so hard to trade for a starting quarterback in the middle of a season. He's got to now go in, potentially learn a new offense. You would think if you're going to make a trade, it would be with a team with a similar system or maybe a coach he's worked with. Or like, or like a contender that has an injury to their quarterback yeah. season ending. Yeah. That is a possibility. That it is a like possibility. You're taking on a lot of money, although maybe Minnesota eats a bunch. They've already mm-hmm. budgeted for it. For sure, I think that would be the most likely way that it would happen. But even regardless of the X's and O's and all this stuff, he'd have to get acclimated with the playbook. He'd also have to get acclimated with the receivers. I mean, we spend the months of April and May and June talking about guys. We're wearing polos. Because a lot of times it's hotter. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, we're talking about him, you know, throwing with targets. A lot of times a guy in a new spot Mm -hmm. because they want to get that chemistry down. They want to get that feel down. Won't be able to do that in the middle of the season. Yeah. So that's why teams are reluctant to do it. You very rarely see midseason moves for a quarterback. Perhaps in this case, you got to look into the future, and I don't know for sure if a team's going to suffer a devastating quarterback injury in the next two weeks, but that would certainly open up the possibility. That's really yep. the one that stands out to me, Steve. Uh, honestly, if something like that happens, yeah. that that would be maybe what happens. This is a roster that's kind of in flux. They're, they're turning it over in a sense, and they have obviously good pieces, but – they obviously are, are, are moving some things around. Mike and I are going to watch this game later tonight, Thursday night football. We're here on the sideline at Arrowhead. But coming up, somebody who's we love to talk to on sidelines. Oh, yeah. Brian Baldinger. Oh, yeah. Baldy's oh, coming yeah. up with his Baldy's favorite films. And, man, a deal and a situation that the Philadelphia Eagles had for Aaron Donald. How did they contain him? Oh, ho, ho, you got to see this. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Welcome back to the NFL Report. James Palmer, Steve Weich with you. And, Steve, we know this is my favorite segment. Wait, I'm on location. I don't have my popcorn. Or do I have my popcorn, <laughs> right. thankfully, oh, oh, from uh, the Chiefs? I appreciate it. It is Baldy's, All right. Baldy's favorite films. It is my favorite segment every Thursday, Baldy. You know this. And I do yes. have to get this out right away. Steve, you weren't on last Thursday's show. And Jane was filling in for you, and we asked Baldy what his favorite movie is. He said it's Jaws. Yes. Well, I received a package, and I talked about this on Monday's show, Baldy. Our good friend, Scott Hansen, sent me a styrofoam cup autographed by Richard Dreyfuss. You know the scene. You know the crush in the cup. Yes. How how killer is that? That's that's, that's pretty cool. Right? That's uh, that's teamwork. You know, Scott and me, like, come together. Pretty good. 100%. We should all 
at another time, we'll talk about which character we are, which I know which one you are, Baldy, so it's pretty simple. <laughs> okay. I think uh, I'm Chief Brody. To. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, the softest of the three. Um, let's talk about the trenches here, Baldy. That's what you love to talk about more than anything. And when you break down film, I know a good game plan, not just good play, but a good scheme and a good plan for a dominant player always is something we love to see you break down. What did the Philadelphia Eagles do to Aaron Donald that was so, in Steve's mind, we've talked about this, unique in a sense? So, James, I'll give you a quick backstory. It's, it's Wednesday morning, which is, you know, basic installation day across the league getting the game plan. And one of the Eagle offense linemen sent me a text at like 1030 in the morning. And he goes, have you watched Aaron Donald? He's ruining the Indianapolis Colts offense. I've never seen anything like it. And I go, well, you know, I, I sent him back a video that I did of AD two days, like on Monday. So like we were in cahoots there, but they just started like, you know, Jason Kelsey, you know, Lane Johnson, uh, you know, the, this, Jeff Stoutler, the offensive line coach, they're sitting there looking at this going, we got to do something. And so basically, Kelsey, like you look at this play right here, like you'll never see this again. But Lane Johnson, you know, Kelsey's supposed to come over. He gets caught up. And here's Aaron Donald on this twist stunt. And Lane's just like, well, I better stay on. Mm -hmm. You know, Kelsey's not there. And he just ran Aaron Donald all the way across the formation now. Lane is still, you know, still has the record for the fastest 40-yard dash of any offensive lineman. But – they literally doubled Aaron Donald in pass protection every single way that he went through a pedal right here. Like, like this is ridiculous. You know, like nobody could do this. You know, I actually sent that to Lane going, how the heck did you? So, like, that was just an instinct yeah. that Lane took over in that play. But they literally, you know, wherever, wherever Aaron went, the Eagles had two guys on him. No matter what happened and what the, the protection was, they put two on Aaron Donald the whole day and he came – you know, he really never hit Jalen Hurts. He had very little impact in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Baldy, I mean, Jason Kelsey told me after the game, I was there, he said that was a unique protection scheme that they'd never done against any other player, and they will never do again wow. as many great players as they are. But you know who else, based on your film study, you told us might need to start getting some extra attention. And we know all the Jets have a ton of great defensive players, but you said there's someone we're not talking yeah. about who has been their oh. MVP thus far this season. Oh, it's Quincy Williams. You know, the older brother of Quincy yes. Williams, number 56. Uh, he's the one that forced the fumble, James, you know, at the end of the game last week, mm -hmm. um, you know, out of Russell Wilson's hands. And Bryce Hall took it in for the, you know, the touchdown. But Quincy Williams, he leads his team in solo tackles right now. Um, you know, he, he's a guy the that they, okay, you want to go cover the slot receiver? Quincy will go cover the slot. Um, he's he's sideline to sideline. I think he's their fastest player at linebacker, too. Now, C.J. Mosley is the perennial, you know, Pro Bowl player, middle linebacker. But I think Quincy Williams right now, his speed and the way that they're using him, like he's a big part of this defense right now and something that the Eagles are going to have to factor in. In fact, I can see Quincy spying on Jalen Hurts at times this, this week because he's a guy that actually can run stride for stride with Jalen Hurts. Well, it's kind of stick there because I know there's a guy in that same similar spot in Zaire Franklin that, that's really kind of popped out at you as well. Well, the irony here, James, is he's a Philadelphia kid. All right. So, you know, and he, he's proud of that, too. He's cheering the Phillies on right now. We all are. Uh, but Zaire Franklin, we all are. like, it's interesting. This is a guy that played every single snap for the Colts last year. Every game, every snap. Didn't miss one snap. Led the team in tackles. He's missed like two or three because of a little bruised knee in one game this year. But he leads the team in tackles by a wide margin this year. And 
you know, three weeks ago when they went to Baltimore, they upset the Ravens in overtime. I saw a play, James, where literally Lamar Jackson breaks the pocket and he's out running. And I see Zaire Franklin chase him down. Like I'm seeing chasing Lamar Jackson hmm. down in the open field. And I go, not only can That's he run, not only does he have instincts right now, not only is he, is he the quarterback of the defense, like, but he's got elite skills as well. Yeah, well, they just showed a tape of him spying uh, Jalen Hurts. I mean, that, that's not an easy thing to do. Talk about guys. Like, no. Zaire's been in the league for a while, and he's starting to really distinguish himself. So is Nico Collins, the wide receiver for the Houston Texans. Ooh. Why is he all of a sudden ascending the way he is? C.J. Stroud. I mean, oh, C.J. I like this. C.J. Like is lights out good. Even, even in the loss last week to Atlanta, C.J. was great. But you look at Nico. He comes out of Michigan. He's been there in Houston for two years. He averaged 13 yards a catch. Right now, Steve, he leads the National Football League in yards per catch at 18.7 yards a catch. On pace for well over 100 wow. catches. That's the, oh, that's the first touchdown of the year for C.J. Stroud and the first of his three touchdowns already on the season. But, you know, yards after the catch, big frame. Nobody, I don't believe, thought that Nico Collins was going to be a number one receiver in any offense. But when you get a quarterback that feeds him, that trusts him, that believes in him, that takes the shots to him right now, like he stretches the field. And all of a sudden, it looked like he was a guy see that just ran go routes on the outside. Now you can see just from these highlights, like he's running every route and he's excellent after the catch. I, I love that, Baldy. I remember last training camp, not this one, the previous one, Having a conversation with Andre Johnson down in Houston, and Dre has been working with him constantly on their own, okay. just the two of them, a great big-body receiver down there in Houston, right, all that time. And he always told me, like, there is so much potential here. We just got to figure it out. Maybe having yeah. the quarterback, like you're mentioning, and C.J. Stroud is a big part of figuring it out. But they do have some positive thoughts and positive uh, expectations for him, Andre Johnson included down there in Houston. This last one we have for you, Baldy, Steve and I were talking about it. We're fascinated. Why do you think – there should be an off-season padded, what are you going to call it, camp for offensive linemen every off-season? Well, I mean, want? you just talked to Judy about the New York Giants. They're, they're, they're non-functionable right now. I mean, they have a center that can't play center. But, you know, he's, he's got to, you know, he's got to fill in, but he's not playing well. They don't have any harmony up front. But, like, I just see, you know, once the starters start going down in some of these organizations, they don't have any depth. And look, I understand the rules and the need for rules and, you know, um, protection and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But linemen need work. The NFL game is completely different than the college game. They don't run combo blocks. They don't run power. They don't run a lot of the, the plays that they run the NFL in the college game. And so pad level is important. Getting low. You know, you're watching the New England Patriots. I mean, they can't run the ball right now. I mean, this is a Bill Belichick team that can't run the ball. The fundamentals are so poor right now. And if you get past your starting five, and some teams are struggling to get five good ones out there, it really falls apart across the league. And I just think you need to put the pads on a month every offseason, you know, maybe three days a week for a couple of months. I like you know, it. Figure out the insurance, figure out the protection, you know, if anybody does get hurt. But players need, they need to pop. They need to come off the ball. They need to learn how to run block. They they need to the, they need to really develop their toolbox so that when they get thrown into a game and they're going up against an elite player, they just don't get embarrassed the way we see we see right now already week five in this league.
Well, you know, look, we know this isn't going to happen because I the NFLPA, it. they're going to say we, we can't have the contact. But you talk about the need for it because ah. all these off-season workouts, the OTAs and all that, they're nothing but seven-on-seven seven skill drills for the wide receivers and the DBs and the quarterbacks and everything to get better. The offensive linemen are all clustered just doing, you know, flippers and, and hand shield dummies because they can't have the contact that they need. And the other part, Steve, is I would take the assistant coaches that are trying to climb, the assistant offensive line coaches, entry-level coaches, let them coach the camp. Let those guys work on their teaching techniques. And I think all together is only going to grow the game. There's some – look, the, the, the Jeff Stoutlands, the Bill Callahans, there's some offensive line coaches that know how to develop. Mm-hmm. But when teams are caught up in coaching changes and the, they're turning over the roster and coaches are turning, like – you get caught up with, you know, guys that don't have experienced offensive line coaches like Stoutland's been there 11 years in Philly. You know, Sua Pettit can yep. go into a game. He's been in the system five years. He knows what he's doing. Most teams don't have that luxury right now. Yeah, that's a tough thing. Baldy, we got to rock and roll. We appreciate you, man. Just awesome stuff again. We'll see you next Thursday. JP will okay, have more unreal. popcorn. His favorite films. And Richard Dreyfuss' autograph is coming to you. I, I, I want that autograph. Get I want him as that a autograph. Guest. I like it better right, than Close Encounters of the Third Kind, <laughs> too. Sorry. We'll be back here on the NFL Close Report for closing Steve. the closing block. It's Jaws. It's Jaws, Steve. Come on. <laughs> you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, to wrap things up here on the NFL Report, I'm Steve White. I'm in the L.A. studios, and James Palmer is at Arrowhead in Kansas City. So, J.P., we know Kansas City is known for its barbecue and its wonderful people. So let's talk about our favorite NFL experiences, not necessarily stadiums or cities or whatever, but the experience we get assigned to cover a game, our favorite experiences. What's your number one spot? Uh, Number one? I'm going Seattle, Steve. I'm love going it. up all the way into the Pacific Northwest. Love it. I'm going to Seattle because I love the town. I love the day before the game. I love walking around in that city. I love the food. Uh, Sushi Kashiba, one of my favorite restaurants uh, on the planet. Uh, it has the best press box view. That's a of Mike the water Silver recommendation, the by the way. And maybe some of the best press box food. Some of the best press box food and its walkability. I'm a big walkability guy when I'm on the road. There you go. Well, talk about walkability. Mine's kind of a weaveability. New Orleans, bro. New Orleans is the best. Oh, I said first off, I mean, ability. I'm, I'm prejudiced. It's my favorite city in the world. I, I mean, I love New Orleans. The people okay. are just the greatest people, um, you know, in, in this country. I, I love New Orleans. The food is great. I mean, the stadium experience, sitting in the press box, JP. You know, the air conditioners for the Superdome are up there, so it is Arctic when oh, you're sitting there. Bring your blanket. The game. But we know, okay, bring a snuggie. Real, real quick, what, what are a couple other cities that you love going to the cover game? Guys, this is also what happens pregame. The cheerleaders are working it out there in the middle of the field, so we're jamming out here at Arrowhead. But listen, I'm going to tell you right now, Steve, two that jump out at me that probably people won't think of. One, Cleveland. I love the location. Went to school in Ohio. I do love how close that stadium is to the water. I love the restaurants. I'm an eater. I'm not going to lie. Also, Baltimore. I love the Inner Harbor. I love the press box. Maybe I'm just talking about press boxes because that's a lower press box, but I love those open stadiums like 
Baltimore, like Cleveland, like Philadelphia, those ones that are kind of just, they give me a feel of football. I'm not going to lie. I love the open stadiums before November because I'm soft. I've been acclimated to L.A. now for 12 years. I cannot take the cold weather, but I'm you with have. you on Cleveland. I absolutely love going to Cleveland. One of my favorite. Seattle is right there, too. And here's another one I know that you ask yep. any NFL reporter at this network where they love going to, Detroit. We love going to the Motor City. I love City. Detroit. The town is great. The people are great. Yeah. The stadium experience is fantastic. So we got to include Met include Kim Detroit Kardashian in Detroit. No big deal. What's yeah. that? I met Kim Kardashian doing a game in Detroit. Oh, no. We just got 30 seconds. Got. You are not. Oh, no, 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 no. We got 30 seconds, bro. Tune in on Monday. We'll open the store. We'll okay. open the show with it on Monday. Watch the NFL report on Monday. More on the Kim Kardashian story. Seriously. <laughs> You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.